We've been doing a series this summer called Set in Stone. What do we do with the Ten Commandments? And last week, Pastor Sean hit a tough one. It was the commandment of adultery. I thought he did a great job dealing with a very, very difficult topic. And this weekend, we're going to move on to commandment number eight. We're going to flip the sign early so that everybody can kind of focus in on what it is that we're going to be working on. Commandment number eight, as God Almighty states to every single one of us, simply says this, and I think we need to read it together to make sure we're all on the same page. So commandment number eight is, you shall not steal. I had a tough time getting started on this one this past week. I mean, I had a terrible case of sermon block. That sometimes happens when I take a week off. And, and uh, I thought, what in the world am I going to do to introduce the topic, you shall not steal? I thought, you know, I could just tell people that I stole a car once and build this great story, but then I'd be in violation of commandment number nine, which says you shouldn't lie. So I didn't want to do that. I thought maybe we could experience it firsthand and we could hire pickpockets to come to Christ the King. We could steal from a bunch of people and then I could give you your wallets back. But I thought that probably had some liability risks involved in there somewhere. I was deeply frustrated. I didn't know where to begin. So when I'm frustrated, what I do is I, I sit quietly and I pray and ask God to give me something. So that's what I did. Sat in my office, said, God, I need an intro to this message and I don't know where to start. So what do you want me to do? I, I got quiet, I opened my Bible put on some music. You know what I heard? Nothing. That's what I heard. I heard absolutely nothing. So I figured, well, I need to disconnect here somewhere. So I'm just going to go for a walk. I'm going to go do some errands. I'm going to go and do some other things. Maybe if I unplug my brain and not try so hard, maybe God will give me something. So I went out, did some errands, and I'm thinking to myself the whole time, how do I introduce the topic of stealing? How do I introduce the topic of stealing? Went into a store, purchased my items, and as I was leaving, God gave me my intro. Does anybody know those alarm things that they put by the doors <laughs> that go off when somebody's taking something and they're trying to exit from the building? So I'm just minding my own business, right? Buy my stuff, walking out the door, and all of a sudden it's like, whoop, 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 step away from the door, step away from the door. And this guy comes up and goes, sir, I'm going to have to go through your bag. You know, and I'm just like, <laughs> very funny, God. This is really funny. Thank you so much for showing up this way. I deeply appreciate it. I'm thinking, this is not funny. It's embarrassing. And then I think to myself, you know, if God's going to set the alarms off, what if he planted something on me, right? <laughs> you know, I could see the front page of the Herald, you know, local pastor busted before sermon on theft. I thought that's great, right? <laughs> awesome, right? Commandment number eight. You shall not steal. And this is the decision that comes out of commandment number eight. It basically says this. I do not take what does not belong to me. I work for what I get. It's pretty simple, right? So simple, we're probably tempted to just blow through it. My assistant Diane did some research this past week on theft in America. Recent Gallup poll, 99% of people admitted to have stolen something in their lifetime. And I think the other 1% are lying, all right? Recent study done showed that 80% of people, 80% admitted to have stolen something from their place of work. The two most common items that were stolen, paper and time. Those two things walked out the door on a regular basis. Here's the scary part. Of the 80% of people that admitted they'd stolen something from their workplace, 20% of them said they didn't think they did anything wrong by taking it. Now, theft was no big deal. Well, this weekend, I'd like to show you how seriously God takes the sin of stealing. 
I want to remind you that at the beginning of this series, I made a pretty bold statement, and the statement basically said this, that one conclusion you can take from the commandments is this, that God has a problem with takers. When you take a human life, when you take another person's spouse, when you take glory that was intended for God and God alone, when, when you take the respect and the honor that's due God's name and you belittle His name, God has a problem with that. Don't believe me. Let's open the Word of God and meet a couple of guys who thought it was no big deal to mess with God's stuff. In the Old Testament, we find two kings, actually a father and a son, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, a couple guys, they're out doing what kings were doing at that time. They're, they're, they're pillaging, they're stealing stuff, they're taking over other, tip, uh, other you know, nations, and then they find themselves face to face with God's chosen people, the Israelites. And in a, a, a deep encounter between them, the dad, Nebuchadnezzar, actually steals some stuff from the temple, God's house, all right? I put it under the banner of messing with God's stuff in your outline. And Ezra chapter 6 verse 5 says this. It says, also the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, they're to be returned to their places in the temple in Jerusalem. They are to be deposited in the house of God. This is actually the end of the story. Let me tell you the beginning of the story. Nebuchadnezzar decides to show up and borrow stuff from God's house. He just takes it. It's not his to take, but he just helps himself and actually goes back and does his own thing with it. He thinks it's just no big deal. In Daniel chapter 5, we find out it's a really big deal. The Bible says, but when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people, given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until... He acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. This guy steals from God and ends up grazing in a field like a cow saying, moo. I think it's a big deal. That is not good. Cowman has a kid. His name is Belshazzar. And the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And Belshazzar has some opportunities to put the stuff back that his dad stole, but he doesn't. Instead, he decides to take the stuff from God's house, throw a party, and use the cups and the goblets in a way that I don't think honored God whatsoever. Let's read it together. Daniel chapter 5, verse 2. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Okay, this wingnut is violating like every commandment in two verses, seriously. I mean, he's got his harem. He's got multiple wives. He's got people that aren't supposed to be in certain positions. And he's just throwing down and having an amazing party. And I don't think he's prepared at all for what happens when you mess with God's stuff. Because in Daniel chapter 5, verse 30, this is what says, or the Bible says what happens. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain dead. No pulse, no heartbeat, worm food, whatever you want to call it. He's dead. And his dad ends up the same way. Two men, one sin, same ending. You mess with God's stuff and there are dire consequences. 
God's very consistent. In the New Testament, we run across a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Not going to go through their whole story. I'll just give you the Reader's Digest version. They lie about an offering that they say they're going to give to God. They take from God what He has blessed them with and what they had promised. And when they lie about it, they both end up dead. And I can only come up with one conclusion when it comes to that, and that it would be this, that God takes very seriously the sin of theft. Now, let's just be honest here. This is another one of those commandments that we don't like talking about because we've got something down deep inside of us that basically says, you know, I don't steal big stuff, you know. I might have borrowed that, but that's not a big deal. And, you know, I I, kind of took that and but that's not a big deal. And, you know, I, I just kind of have put it out of my mind. I just don't want to have to deal with it because I don't have that problem. I am not a thief. Are you sure? God just started putting His fingers all over some really tender places in my life this week. And I figure I might as well share the pain. So, let's just go through a list of things that we might be prone to steal in our modern day but not count as stealing. Okay, you can follow along, you want to fill the stuff in. Let's just go through it. Let's start with stuff, right? The theft of actual items. This is where we actually take something that's not ours. We take it because we can. And in doing so, we set ourselves up in opposition to God, the God who actually owns everything. Some of us, you know, hear that God owns everything, and our deduction is then, well, that makes everything public property, so I can just take whatever I want to, right? Wrong, all right? Because the Bible also teaches that God gives to each person a trust. A stewardship. First question that always pops out after I say that is, why do some people get more and some people get less? I have no idea. All I know is that God is in charge of distribution. God is in charge of dispersion. And when you steal, what you're saying is that God doesn't know what He's doing in His distribution plan. That somehow God made a mistake. What else are we tempted to steal? Secondly, oh boy, you know, I, I just realized this weekend at some point I'm going to tick off just about everybody. So let's just, let's just have at it. Let's try resources. Let's talk about sharing music and videos, right? All of a sudden people are grabbing their iPods going, oh boy, right? Copyright law is the most violated law in the United States. People copy music, they file share, they watch bootleg copies of movies. And even though it says right on the package that it's illegal to reproduce it, We just do it anyway. I mean, if you've ever heard yourself say the words, uh, can you just load that on my computer too? Now, I hate to break it to you, but it's theft. And I know what some of the response is. Is not. Is so. Is not. Is so. How about the next one? What about information? We're talking here about the theft of personal information, and people steal personal information all the time. Sometimes it's actual identity theft. Other times it's when we steal a piece of information about a coworker or a family member and we just take that juicy little tidbit and we file it way back in the back of our brain because there may come a moment somewhere down the road when we'd like to use that tidbit to knock that person down a couple of notches and elevate ourselves just a little bit. How about time? Stealing time by neglecting our work. I mean, I got four words for you on this one. Don't get me started, all right? I mean, as followers of Jesus, the Bible says we're to work as if we were working for God Himself. And that means that we don't steal from our employers by doing our 
thing on their time. That means when we're working, we're actually, this is a novel thought. When we're working, we're actually supposed to be working. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Not texting, not Facebooking, not IMing, not surfing. We're not supposed to be inging anything, all right? We're just supposed to be working. When we take work time for personal stuff, we're stealing from our employer. And all the business owners said, yeah, we're stealing. And God says, no. And I know how it works, right? I just got to check my Facebook profile just for a second. Just do it. Oh, I cannot believe they put that on my wall. Unbelievable. Oh, just a minute. Oh, and I text back, put something on their wall. Text 45 friends at the same time. Can you believe what they put on my wall? Twitter this, text. I mean, da, 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 da. All of a sudden, an hour has gone by, and it's just like, what were you here for? I thought you were supposed to be working. It's a matter of honor. That's the next blank, all right? What do we tend to steal? We tended to steal honor by not giving credit where credit's due. I mean, have you ever stolen an idea and passed it off as your own? You ever taken credit for something you didn't do? Have you, have you ever inflated your level of involvement so your boss thinks that you're actually better than you are? Whenever we do that, we're stealing honor from where it belongs. Here's the next one. How about attention? I believe sometimes people steal attention. We do it by using false motives to invoke pity or assistance. I mean, have you ever found yourself just manipulating the conversation so that you end up in the middle of the spotlight just so you could possibly gain something? that's not yours to gain? And I'm just asking the question, right? How about this next one? Oh boy, here it comes. Intellectual property. When we steal that, there's a word for it. It's called plagiarism. All right, here we go. Middle school students, high school students, college students, listen and hear me well. I think the cut and paste feature on your computer is from the devil. All right? I mean, seriously, because what do we do, right? I was going to grab a paragraph from here and a paragraph from here, a paragraph from here, put it all together, nice little essay. I think my professor's an idiot. He's not going to be able to figure it out, even though he's probably read all of this stuff anyway. I'm going to put it all together, stick my name on the cover, and go, look how smart I am. Right? Now, there's no problem using other people's material as long as you give them credit. I see this in ministry all of the time. I mean, you just start listening to all the different podcasts of all the different preachers, and all of a sudden, there's this deal that just kind of shows up, and you realize that this guy's telling the same story that that guy told, who's telling the same story that that guy told, but they're all telling it like it was their story, right? When there's no credit given, when there's no verbal footnote, it's theft. Is not, is so. All right, how about this next one? Oh boy, here it comes. How about financial disobedience? Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Tough passage. Malachi is often used when we're talking about tithing and offerings. It's also one of the only scriptures in all of the Bible that addresses how people go about stealing from God. In fact, the passage actually says that when we withhold from God what we are expected to give and to bring, when we hold it back in the form of tithes and offerings, Scripture lays it straight out and says that we are robbing God. If you don't believe me, you can go and read it for yourself. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Somebody actually has the guts to ask the question to God, how do we rob you? And God says, by withholding what it is that I asked you to do. That's how you robbed me. Tough stuff. Here's the last one. How about truth? 
How do we steal truth? We steal truth by withholding a complete understanding of circumstances. I mean, have you ever shared a story and just left out a few strategic details? Just a few, just a couple of little things, just so you could personally benefit. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, man, Grant is just being so nitpicky. I mean, I mean, I mean, come on, pastors, lighten up just a little bit. Do we really have to talk about this kind of stuff? I mean, I don't steal. I just strategically borrow things, all right? It's not a big deal. It, it, it's just it's what I call global reallocation. That's what I'm doing. I'm just moving a couple of things around. We think it's not that big of a deal. Some of you would just say, you know, come on, Grant, can you just lighten up today? You know, I find something in my own life that when I've been confronted by a sin... All of a sudden, what happens is I start making excuses. Whenever I hear myself making excuses, I think one of the questions that I have to ask myself is, if I haven't done anything wrong, why do I have to work so hard to justify it? Why do I start on the list of excuses? Because if I haven't done anything wrong, I shouldn't be feeling bad about anything. So maybe that should be a clue. What are some of the excuses we use to excuse theft? I love this one, right? (laughs) Everybody's doing it, right? Everybody's doing it. Everybody file shares. Everybody shares music. Everybody does that kind of thing. It's not that big of a deal. My friends, can we understand something? Just because everybody's doing it doesn't make it right. It just means that everybody's sinning together. I mean, that's what it means, right? What a lousy excuse. Everybody's doing it. How about the second one? Uh, The owner won't miss it. That's a good one, right? I mean, the owner already has so much stuff. They're not going to miss this little piece of rebar that I helped myself to. They're not going to miss this ream of paper. They're not going to miss this box of pens. They're not going to miss this diesel front end loader that I borrowed, you know? (laughs) Right? They're not going to miss it. They've got so much already. Which leads to another excuse. The other excuse is the owner already has enough stuff. I mean, somehow we get it into our brain. You know, my boss is so rich, they need to learn how to live with less. So somehow I'm going to help them out by lightening the load of their possessions. I know what I'm doing. I'm not stealing. I'm actually doing them a favor. You know, this has run through my brain before. You know, do I really have to buy that Microsoft Office box of stuff? I mean, seriously, Bill Gates, the guy's loaded. He's not going to miss one little license. It's not that big of a deal. I'm just going to borrow it and put it here. You know, it's a difficult deal, isn't it? I've spoken to our staff about these kinds of things because I understand something. I understand that everything, everything in this particular room actually isn't my stuff. In fact, it's not even your stuff. Everything in this room belongs to God. Everything you see is a blessing that came from God, and it passed from Him through your generosity. And that just speaks to me in volumes, because it means this. This piece of paper doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you, and it belongs to God. And I've been entrusted with it as a steward, and I better be using it for God's glory. Think about it. It means this file folder... This file folder does not belong to me. This is God's file folder. I better use it well. This is not my music stand. This music stand belongs to Jesus. So does this stool and this platform and the seats that you're sitting on. None of this stuff belongs to us. It all belongs to God. And He decided who it was going to be dispersed to. And when I steal, what I'm saying is God got it wrong. 
And what I should be saying to myself is if it all belongs to God, I should probably keep my grubby hands off of it. You know, when it comes to stealing, let me just lay it out for you. Stealing is an issue of honor, respect, and trust. When we steal, we're saying God isn't smart enough to carry out his own dispersion plan. When we steal anything, we're saying God gave it to the wrong person. When we take it, we're saying God is not due the honor and the worthiness that is due him as the distributor and the dispenser of everything. When we take it upon ourselves to take that which does not belong to us, we're saying God is not trustworthy and that that item, that song, that look, that affection, whatever it happens to be, that we need that more than we need to trust our Savior. We're saying that in reality, God's not more than enough for us. That Taking that is more important than pleasing Him. In Psalm 146, King David makes a statement of honor, respect, and trust. It's not in your outline. It's not going to be on the screens. Just listen to what David says because I think he figured this one out. He says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all of my life. I'll sing praise to my God as long as I live. Don't put your trust in princes and mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien, sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. I mean, we we just want to make it so much smaller than it is. We just convince ourselves, I'm not taking money under the table. That's not theft. I'm just being strategic because I don't want to have to give the government its cut. When we don't declare income, it just seems to be gone. We think, well, you know, we excuse it because we go, well, you know, it's just, you know the government's got a lot already. You know what? I want to remind you of something when it comes to that stuff. Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And you can have your opinion about the government all you want to, What you need to understand this is if you think this government's corrupt, you should have been around in Jesus' time. And he still said, do the right thing. Paul said we were to submit to the authorities. We were to submit to them. You don't think Paul was writing? Paul was writing that under Roman persecution. I mean, the Roman Empire was awful when it came to corruption. Jesus and Paul both kept calling people to a higher level. Say, don't blow this one off. Be righteous. Make good decisions. You know, it is. We're tempted to just blow it off. And I just want to remind us today, Scripture also says this. Scripture says, be not deceived. Which literally means, don't fool yourself. God is not mocked. Which means you can't play games with God. And then it says, whatever a man sows, he reaps. I thought Sean did a brilliant job pointing this out last week. If you sow adultery, you know what you end up reaping? Loneliness. Gentlemen, on Tuesday night, we had a difficult conversation, but I was so proud of the guys of Christ the King who came to talk about the difficult issue, but we learned something. If you sow pornography into your life, you know what you reap? You reap shame. 
That's what you get back. That's your payoff. You get guilt back. If you sow theft, you know what you reap? You reap nothing. Nothing but emptiness. You know, we are so tempted in these moments to just kind of feel like this is just the heaviest thing we've ever heard. Because the truth and the reality is theft starts with these small, subtle compromises and it just grows over time. And some of us right now may be feeling like we're being condemned. You know what condemnation says to people? It says this. It says, you failed and you can't be forgiven. You know what conviction says? See, condemnation comes from the enemy. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit says, not you failed. It says, you go. You go make it right. You go and do the right thing. You put back what it was that you took, and you honor God in that moment. You see, and then when you take conviction and confession, you put them together. Confession has another word for us, and the word is this. It's you're free. I'm going to promise you something. If you make the decision today to go back and make something right with somebody, to do whatever restitution is you have to do, I'm going to promise you something. Jesus will go with you. He will show up and go with you because he cares so much about you doing the right thing. Is that a guarantee that everything's going to go perfect? No, you may actually lose your job by turning yourself in. You might. But what you're going to reap on the other side of it is a freedom of knowing you don't have need to, to, to take care of a guilty conscience anymore. I mean, let's just think about this one for a moment. What do we do if we've blown it? You know what we do? We seize an opportunity. We choose the holy route. We go back. We make it right. We tell the truth. We make restitution. We take the consequences. We expose ourselves. We do the right thing. And in doing the right thing, in sowing holiness and righteousness, you know what we get in return? We get joy. We get peace. We get freedom. We get the opportunity to drop those chains and leave them behind. Let me give you an example of how this works. So within the last year, a young man showed up at my office. He actually made three or four appointments. He kept canceling them. I told this story here before. He kept canceling them, but one day, finally, he worked up the nerve to actually come, and I could see him walking back in front of the window by my office. He was, he was just freaking out. Finally, he got inside of the office, and he sat down, and this was the story that he told me. He said, Grant, a bunch of years ago, when I was a drug addict, I came to this church, and I stole some purses to get the money to fuel my drug habit. I, I want to make it right. See, the cool thing about this young man is he met Jesus. And Jesus put him on a different track. And he's not who he used to be. He's a new creation in Christ. And he made the decision. He was going to do the right thing. And he told me, he goes, I'm willing to accept full responsibility, even if that means going to jail. I'll do whatever I can to pay restitution. I want to do this and I want to do it right because I'm a different man. Well, I put on my detective hat and I found the two ladies whose purses got stolen. And the four of us gathered together in my office. And the young man accepted full responsibility, said he was willing to do whatever it took to pay restitution. He also said that what he wanted more than anything that day was forgiveness. Do you know what those two godly women gave him as a gift that day? Forgiveness. They actually stood over him and prayed over him and forgave him and blessed him to go and be the man that God created him to be. It was awesome. 
because he chose to do the right thing. You know what I'm encouraging Christ the King to do this week? Do the right thing. I'm expecting a wave of stuff to just start showing up in Whatcom County. That's what we're looking for. <laughs> Seriously. Tuesday in the Herald, I want a headline. Wave of honesty breaks over Bellingham and Whatcom County. I just want stuff to start showing up. In fact, I'm on a personal crusade. A couple of years ago, somebody's, Russ Rosema is our worship leader. I mean, he's just a regular guy. He's, he's a blue collar guy. Somebody ripped off his guitar, okay? Give it back. If you're here and you stole Russ's guitar, give it back to him, all right? Bring it to my office. No questions asked. Just, yeah, I'll give it to him. We'll have a little Jesus party and it'll be awesome, okay? I mean, I think Office Depot should sell out of paper this weekend. And we should be taking stuff back. Paper clips, pens, pencils, whatever, all right? God's people are called to do godly things. And God just drawing a line here from all of us. Don't belittle it. Don't brush it off. Don't pretend that it's not a big deal. God says it's a big deal. So let's do the right thing. All of us. How do you think? I mean, I just think God's called us to that level in our lives. We've been laying out the Big Ten Challenge all of this, all of this time, right? The Big Ten Challenge is an opportunity for each and every one of us to, to gather in our, our most important small group and talk about these things Moms and dads, don't blow off number eight. Don't blow it off. Do the right thing with your children. You're going to save them from a world of hurt. Now, as we get ready to close, I got one final thought that kind of hit me last night. I stood out in the commons after the Saturday night service, and I watched all of the husbands come out, and, and their wives were smiling. And I thought, well, that's an interesting response to what we talked about tonight. And I had a bunch of them come and say, you know, I leaned over to my sweetheart, and I said, you know what, honey? You stole my heart. Ah. <laughs> Get some real game. Seriously. My goodness. But I was listening and talking to conversations, and I heard some cool stuff. After the 8.30 service, I heard of a guy tell another guy that when he lost his job a while ago, he walked out the door with a ruler from the company in his pocket. And he said, you know what, it doesn't seem that big of a deal, but I'm going to take it back tomorrow. It's awesome. He said, it's just a little thing, Grant, come on, lighten up. Holiness is not a little thing. It's the thing. As I was listening to conversations, I heard somebody talking, and I just thought, man, they just nailed it. Just listening to conversations, watching them build and over, and this thought just kind of leaped out and grabbed me. Do you know what is the beautiful gift that comes along with number eight, you shall not steal? It's this simple fact. God has a problem with takers, and that's why Jesus gives. Do we understand that? That's the point counterpoint. God could have taken our freedom. He could have taken our brokenness and thrown it back in our face. He could have taken the judgment and put it right on top of our shoulders, and we could have been condemned for it. But God's response to his people taking was the exact opposite. How beautiful is it? said he gives what does what, what does scripture say it says john three sixteen. somebody give it to me for god so loved the world that he 
gave. He gave. In response to that, Jesus gave. How can we not do the same? To give it back. Or to give it honor. Or to give it freedom. Whatever it happens to be, we have an opportunity to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Let's do it this week, Christ the King. And see what God does. Would you pray with me?